Today on Don't Show My Face, I'm going to do an experiment. This episode is going to be made up of audio messages from a person thousands of miles away who I've never met in person. A year ago, Russia launched its full-scale attack on Ukraine. The first seven episodes of this podcast were about the war. We told stories about Ukrainians living in the war, trying to stay alive, trying to help, trying to hold on to themselves. The person we're going to hear from today is someone who I met during that time. She never came on the show, but we stayed in touch, and I reached out to her many times for help translating different things or to help research different topics. And I always thought she was one of the most interesting people that I'd met from Ukraine. But she was too shy to come on the show most of the time, and she also needed to protect herself and her identity. But now, a year later, I asked her again if she thought that it might be a good time, finally, to tell a few stories. And she agreed. That's exactly what today's episode is going to be. I'm going to play you parts of audio messages that she sent me last month from a two-week period where she traveled back to Kiev, to the city she was living in a year ago. She needed to go back to take care of a few things for school. And the first message that she sent me was right after she'd arrived. It was a story about what happened on the train ride back to Kiev. I want to tell you a story I, I heard on the train back home. There was an elderly American man in the neighboring cabin on the train. He was coming to cover the situation in Ukraine. And together with him in that cabin sat an elderly Ukrainian woman. She was coming back home to see her daughters. And one of the daughters uh, came from Poland and the other from Spain. So she decided to show him the pictures um, of them and her family and her husband and so on. Uh, because that's, that's how elderly people usually start a conversation, you know, like with that, um, look, that's my son or daughter or something like that. <laughs> but there was one minor detail, namely the fact that she was speaking Russian because she's from Kharkiv. And she did know English outside the simple phrases like hello and, and so on. He, on the other hand, he, he understood neither Russian nor Ukrainian and answered to her only like in English, but the conversation somehow went smoothly. And what surprised me the most was the fact that they somehow understood each other. Well, maybe from the first, from the third try, because uh, they, they repeated the same phrases all over again until one of them understood what they meant. And it was uh, rather funny. I guess the, the, the main reason why I'm telling this story is the fact that then came the part where um, she started crying and repeating the phrases for what, for what, and of course it wasn't in English. And she started showing him the photos of her husband and telling him only one word, Mariupol. She was repeating that word again and again. And you could hear the real pain a person was going through at that moment. And that was the only time no one had to explain for the third time what she meant because the man started saying that he feels the same pain and he's so sorry for what is happening in Ukraine and that everything is going to be all right in the future. 
I would say that this moment awakened something in me. I, I would say it was a, a surprising feeling of hope because this whole situation, absurd at first and then in, incredibly tragic, I'd say it at the, at the last moments, it showed me an important thing that humans can understand each other without words that we are still able to sympathize with people whom we never saw in our lives, but whose pain we feel as if our own. And I don't know, it, it made me cry. <laughs> and I even tried to muffle myself because uh, it would be very weird if they heard me crying nearby. But it truly, I don't know, made me glad to be back home and still feel that people from all over the world, they, they, they still can emphasize, uh, sympathize with, with others and that some still care about, well, others. And I really hope to be sending more audio messages in a happier tone and especially the one during Ukraine's victory. Um, but yeah, that was all I wanted to really share. So yeah, uh, see ya. One thing that I think people who live outside of Ukraine don't really realize is how when you live in a war zone, suddenly your whole headspace changes in these surprising ways. So Sasha, that's what I'm going to call the person we're hearing from today. She knows all about these different types of rockets and missile defense systems. And she has to. I mean, missiles are literally falling all around her when she's back in Ukraine. She's not even 25 years old yet, but she walks around thinking about military hardware and about what exists and what is missing. You know, unfortunately, we do not have any air defense systems against the, uh, what's the type? X-22, if I'm not mistaken, type of rockets. And the worst thing is that I know nobody's going to give them uh, at all because if... We, well, if we see that the only air defense systems able to prevent these rockets are Patriots and they are still not here, it's just, it's devastating. She told me about the same problem on another day. The, the rockets of such types are extremely dangerous because we don't have an air defense system against them. And even if we did, some of the Patriots that can actually dissolve the rocket. It, one rocket from Patriot costs like $3 million. And it's just bizarre. It, uh, I already talked about it. And I was told that even if we had, we would use it really carefully because, or, or not use it at all, unfortunately, because it just goes for an additional cost and additional costs. This winter, Missiles and rockets also began to fall on Ukraine's electricity infrastructure. Power outages became a normal part of everyday life for people in Kyiv and other parts of the country. Stores and shops gradually adjusted to their new reality. They bought generators or would sometimes just open without electricity and tell customers when they walked in the door, hey, power's out. You can only pay with cash, no cards. 
there are two main things indicating that a place has no electricity. So either the drilling sound of a generator or those four words said by a security guard before the entrance. So no lights, all the cash. Sasha told me this story about going to the cafe she usually goes to every day when she's in Kiev, and about a problem that didn't have anything to do with the electricity being out, but it had to do with language. Well, I guess I should say that I came to order my usual coffee and I was greeted by the very pleasant barista. She was from Kharkiv and came here with her family to her other relatives to protect themselves from the constant shelling. And during the small conversation, that only included the question about what type of coffee I want or what type of milk I prefer. I heard how she struggled to speak Ukrainian, it all becoming the so-called surzhik. Automatically, I told her she could speak any language she wants as to not make her uncomfortable speaking to me. I guess that was the coping mechanism of me always saying, no, 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 you, you, you can speak any language you want. I didn't want to become embothered to them. But once I told her that, she immediately declined the offer with a small laugh, telling me that she wants to speak Ukrainian and that I wasn't the only person telling her this. And of course, I felt very embarrassed because I didn't want to undermine or show that her Ukrainian was bad or not sufficient. I didn't want to make her discouraged. So I just froze with my eyes on the floor. And there was a silence while the coffee was brewing, but she noticed my regrets and told me that everything was okay. It's just that she knows her Ukrainian is not that good to begin with. But she wants to speak it fully because she can turn back to speaking Russian, not after what she and her close friends went through. Of course, she didn't tell me exactly what happened, but from the expression I could tell that it was something that would either make me shocked to the core or make my blood boil. There is no in-between. But once the coffee was ready, she presented it to me with a smile and wished me a good day. And to this day, I truly wish I could tell her more, but at the time I couldn't. I, I just froze, and the only things I could say were thank you and have a nice day. But seeing this determination to relearn Ukrainian showed me that people do care. And with that, our unity will last even after the war. Sasha was adjusting to everyday life back in Kyiv, the stores without electricity, the cafes that were serving tea instead of coffee. But she also had to adjust to the air raids, again, the sirens that go off whenever there's missiles flying over the country. And the time where you really have to readjust is at nighttime when you're laying in bed trying to go to sleep. I really hope that today there won't be any air raid sirens. At least, I hope so. Um, I I really love to to make um, kind of like bets each and every night whether or not I will hear the air raid or whether or not it will wake me up. And I know it's 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 not fun at all, but it's just something that um, a lot of people 
you have to get used to. She also told me her method, the way that she would predict whether a siren going off, an air raid alarm, meant that something bad would happen or whether she could relax. If during the first three minutes uh, since the beginning of air raid, there has been nothing, like three to five minutes, there has been nothing, well, or maybe thankfully there has been no loud explosions or any sort of things, then there is a 75% chance that it's just them uh, making an observation. So they, they, they send their own drones or anything to spy on our uh, defense systems. So usually it's safe, but when something happens during these three to five minutes, you have to hide because, well, after Dnipro and everything else. There, Sasha is talking about an attack that happened on a residential building. Basically, a Russian missile slammed into this apartment complex and killed 40 adults and six children. And many more were injured and trapped under rubble, under stones and concrete for days and had to be pulled out by rescue volunteers and firefighters. That happened literally right before Sasha went back to Kiev. And of course, while she's sleeping in a residential building, she can't help but remember things like that and worry whenever there's an air raid siren that maybe it's actually an indicator that the same kind of missile is headed straight at the building that she's trying to sleep in. She talked to me several times about air raids and sirens and what it means for her. Here's another audio message that she sent on a different day. You know, usually I'm not that bothered by the air raid warnings because, well, I've told you about my three to five minute rule. Of course, it doesn't work every time, but that is usually what works for me personally. But currently, I see a lot of things that are preparing us for something really massive. And I don't know, I just have decided to send this to, I don't know, call my nurse. So while I'm in the dark because I needed to close everything, um, yeah, I've decided to just share what I have Currently in my mind and uh, yeah in my in my heart, <laughs> I guess that's that's only the nerves talking. So I find it um, I say quite calming to share this with someone. So I hope you don't mind. Um, yeah, but I, I I really hope that everything is gonna be all right. It has to be because well. We have gone for so long <laughs> and we will stay, yeah, we will survive. So, yeah. Just as normal routine was kicking in for Sasha and she was getting used to the air raids and sirens again, another tragedy happened. While Sasha was in Kyiv, a helicopter crashed. It slammed into a kindergarten, and everyone on board died, including the interior minister of Ukraine. Also, one of the children on the ground at the kindergarten passed away. 
And just like with Dnipro, the news really hit Sasha hard. The next day, she sent me a very emotional audio message from a cafe. I just want to say that it's, it, it's so fucking unfair. This is for the first time. I guess not for the first time, but it, it truly hit me hard today. I don't know, it's just, I'm trying to calm myself. And the, the worst thing is that, uh, well, it's just so fucking unfair that it all happened. I don't know, it's just the realization kicks in that uh, no one is safe after all. And I don't know why why this hit hard. It's just, you know, the start of 2023, it was supposed to be a winning year. And I know it will be eventually. And I hope it will be more once spring comes. But it's just you hear this news and uh, you saw everyone like this person so you, heard, you heard them on television you uh, knew from your friends and family that they were like a good person and then you, you see him just end up dead with all the assistance and uh, children also died in, in the kindergarten and it's just it's it's just so fucking horrific to think about what was especially hard was to witness tragedies like that and know that at the same time you're waiting for new weapons to arrive. And once we notify of the real things that we need and we would highly appreciate uh, and we would even pay for this, we don't fucking care about the credits that we're going to take. We just need that to, to, to save lives as, as fast as possible. Why say that you believe in Ukraine and then not deliver its weapons in, in fear that Russians are gonna go further? It's just, it's bizarre in my opinion, and it's just sad. In the days after the helicopter crash, Sasha sent me more messages, sometimes late at night, talking about the air raids again. And I noticed how much her voice had changed from just a few days earlier when she had arrived on the train and told me the story about the woman trying to speak to the American man. The weight of the war was already very heavy. And so were the things that she was telling me about. This audio message contains my view on the theme of death. I never thought I would actually encounter it so many times during the so-called golden years of my life or whatever. The thing is, at this point, I don't care if I die. With war, you somehow easily accept this as a possible scenario. So it's all good on that front. But what breaks you the most are the deaths of others, not only that of the close ones. War takes the brightest ones. That is the only saying I hear when talking with someone about the fallen Ukrainians, as well as those who came here to defend or help this country. And with every single death reported on the news channels, one of the most common reactions is, why did they have to die? Why not me instead of them? And this sense of injustice strongly plays a major role in this feeling. Nowadays, death surrounds us 24-7. 
A lot of people die because of the war. Some die heroic death because they defend our country. Some die tragic deaths, it being from an air raid, shelling, occupation, or other causes provoked by the war. And I have lost a close person during this war as well. A lot of people have. And that feeling of despair and pain is experienced by many Ukrainians every day. The recent tragedies in Dnipro and in Brovary have made us once more look into the faith of death. But sometimes when the things I read about or witness with my own eyes become too unbearable, I don't feel anything at all. And to be frank, I'm scared of this. I don't want to stop feeling things. I I don't want Russians to take my humanity away. I don't want to let my inner child fully die. But it happens because my psyche still tries to shield me from, well, the complete collapse. And uh, the time stops and my hands become heavy and you feel as if you're not fully present at the moment. When certain ignorant individuals make fun of the tragedies that are happening in Ukraine, when they tell us to stop sharing news about the war and talking about the atrocities Russian soldiers commit while raising their demand with them being tired of the negativity, or when they even ask us to put the weapons down and negotiate with Russians, I, I just want to gather every single painful experience I have had during this war insert this into them. I want to make them feel the same things Ukrainians feel every single day. The last several days that Sasha was in Kyiv, she saw friends, she did work for her studies, and she walked around the city. The day before yesterday was the last day of my stay. And to be honest, I I really don't want to go somewhere else. But whatever happens, happens for a reason. Nevertheless, these constant and in some cases unveiling journeys have taught me one important thing. And that is to treasure the limited time you have at home and to use this time wisely. On those last days, while she was trying to use her time wisely and walking around to see her favorite spots in the city, the weather was beautiful, the sky was colorful and bright, and it felt for a moment just like the old Kiev, the one that she'd known before the full-scale invasion last year. I truly felt at peace for the first time since Russia launched a full-scale war against Ukraine. The thing is, the day before yesterday made me feel as if I was reliving one of those peaceful days in life before the war. But I know I cannot fool myself with an illusion that such calm days bring upon me. I know that one day victory will finally be achieved and those Russian scums will be brought to justice for the war crimes and atrocities they've committed in Ukraine. 
But until then, we have to keep talking about Russia's war against Ukraine. We have to keep demanding the governments to arm Ukraine. We have to keep pressuring the international organizations to finally do their job and follow the regulations they themselves have implemented and keep donating to support people who are injured by Russian terroristic attacks and, well, the families whose children or parents or loved ones have led their lives defending Ukraine. We have to volunteer and, well, to stay alive. Um, that is all. Yeah, see ya. Sasha is now outside of Ukraine again, but she will be traveling back this year on several occasions. I've asked her what charity she would like me to put in the description of the show today for listeners to donate to if they're interested in getting involved. Have a look in the description if you want to find that link. I'm James Reed, and this was Don't Show My Face, a podcast from Invisible Pictures Germany, 2023. Thanks for listening, and take care.